are listening to Pregnancy Uncut, a new podcast dedicated to telling the untold and unspoken stories of pregnancy complications. We are your hosts, Drs. Alex Umbers and Cara Thompson. Pregnancy Uncut acknowledges the Wadawurrung people of the Kulin Nation, the traditional owners of the land with which we record this. A special welcome to all our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders, especially the mothers, daughters, sisters and aunties. Content warning, heads up guys, this podcast contains materials on pregnancy loss and complications and it may be confronting. Hello, Cara. Hello, Alex. It's been almost a month since we launched. Can you believe it? I can't believe it. It's been a huge month. It's been so exciting. It's been really crazy. Yeah, we've had amazing feedback and we've just had the most wonderful messages of support from women and their families who have listened to these stories and yeah it's it's been incredible to to hear that we are making a little bit of a difference to some people going through these things. I really had no idea how many people would potentially listen to it. I I thought if one person listened to it, it would be great. (laughs) Just our mums. (laughs) It turns out there's an audience in the community who want to hear these stories. Yeah, that's it. And and some of these people have actually reached out to us and written some beautiful letters. Would you like to share some feedback, Cara? We'll share a few of them because there have been some really beautiful letters and people have taken the time to write to us, which which is really lovely. Here is one of the messages that we received from Edwina, who's one of the midwives at work. Hi, Cara and Alex. I loved your podcast and I'm looking forward to hearing the next episodes as they appear. I think it's so beneficial for all midwives to listen to them as well. I'm on the bereavement team and so I've met many of the women who have delivered little angels like the stories that you share. Beautiful. Yeah. Next one is from Karina who actually contacted us um, after hearing the podcast and she wanted to share her story. We actually meet her next episode. Karina says, hi, Alex and Cara. I'm really enjoying your podcast. Thank you so much for creating a space for real stories of pregnancy and birth. I search for something like this on my journey to motherhood and I am so, so glad it exists now. I'm sure it's not easy, but it's so important. Beautiful. And the final message that we'll read is from Nadej. She writes, Dear Alex and Cara, after receiving the link to your new podcast, I've just listened to a few episodes and I need to say first and foremost, thank you for creating such a podcast. There is a real need in the Australian podcast world for a podcast that deals with the pregnancy loss and complications and also discusses and addresses birth complications and trauma. Alex, you are very brave and courageous to share your story so openly in episode one. Sharing the story of the loss of your baby and of your miscarriages and of the grief you are experiencing will help so many other women deal with their own grief. It is very powerful. Wow. Mm. Go one, you. One more message from uh, Apple Podcasts. Uh-huh. This was a bit of a surprise. They contacted us to say we're ranking very well in the podcasting world mm. and um, we've actually had almost a 1,000 downloads in the first wow. month. Can you believe it? That's definitely not just our mum's downloading. No. <laughs> <laughs> when we started this podcast, Cara, I was a bit worried I'd be traipsing all around Victoria, you know, like a minor celebrity interviewing people and... <laughs> Um, it turns out we didn't have to travel too far to find guests. They no. are in our own community, our own neighbourhood. Yeah. In fact, they have found us since we launched um, our episodes a few weeks ago. 
people have come to us and have wanted to share their stories and it's amazing how many people in just our local community have been through something like this. And one of those women is Lucy. She is actually a friend and colleague of ours and she unfortunately lost her first pregnancy to a complication known as an ectopic pregnancy. It's a really important story to hear um, Lucy's story because it's a bit different to the usual stories we hear about early pregnancy loss. And I think for people who have gone through an ectopic pregnancy, they may feel that it's a story that they've never heard anywhere else and that they um, don't know anyone else who's gone through it. And there are some things about ectopic pregnancy that are quite unique. Um, That sense of grief of losing your pregnancy is shared with the experience of a miscarriage. But some elements are different and the experience, and certainly Lucy's experience, um, was was quite unique and there's a lot of really important things to explore in that. Before we dive into hearing from Lucy, can you just explain a little bit more about what an ectopic pregnancy is and and what we worry about? Yeah, sure. So ectopics, thankfully, are quite rare. So we talk about one in every 100 pregnancies or about 1%. Um, Of those, the overwhelming majority are pregnancies that have implanted in the tube. Um, So what we think happens is the sperm and the egg meet um, and they usually meet in the tube and they should then wander down to the uterus and implant in the right (laughs) place in the womb. But like all things in life, it doesn't always work that way. So um, the majority of ectopic pregnancies, as I said, implant in the tube, but they can implant anywhere. And occasionally they even implant in the ovary or other places in the pelvis. They can implant in the cervix, which is the neck of the womb. Um, And in Lucy's circumstance, they can even implant in very odd places, like where the tube connects to the womb. And with the ectopic pregnancy... Um, they're different to other pregnancy losses, aren't they? So how, how does it affect the mother? Oh, it's they're really challenging because not only are you faced with the loss of your baby that you hoped you were going to be seeing, but you're also immediately being told of all the potential dire complications that can happen with an ectopic pregnancy. We're getting a lot better at treating ectopics and we're picking them up earlier, um, but occasionally they still can have very, very serious consequences for the mother. And every so often a woman does die from an ectopic pregnancy, even in Australia. So we do treat them very seriously and it is scary um, for women and their families, but that doesn't take away from the from the loss and the emotion of losing the pregnancy as well. It's that real double whammy. Well, shall we hear from Lucy about her own personal story? Let's do it. Hello, Lucy. Hello. Thanks for joining us on Pregnancy Uncut today. Thank you for having me. Oh, our pleasure. Can you take me back to the day when you found out you were first pregnant? Absolutely. I will never forget it. Um, So it was first pregnancy. Uh, We were at home and we had been trying, so it wasn't a surprise. Um, I went to the bathroom and peed on a stick and it came up pretty quickly that it was positive. Um, I had my suspicions, so I was feeling a bit off. Um, but that moment, I was sitting on the toilet, and that stick was on the ground, and I was staring at it, and the two lines came up, and I was just like, oh, my goodness, what have we done? <laughs> <laughs> I had felt ready, but then in that moment, I was just a bit shocked and very, very happy and excited, but also a bit what have we gotten ourselves into? Yeah. This is amazing. 
Um, and before that I had you know, seen those pregnancy announcement um, posts on Instagram or how creative ways to tell your partner and I was thinking about, oh, I want to do this, you know, cute thing and then I just ran out and I was like, oh, my God, I'm pregnant. <laughs> that all flew out the window. Yep. And you're, you described earlier that you're from a big fertile family and you're surrounded by pregnancies. So yes. what was your expectation of this pregnancy? Um, yeah, so I do come from a very large family on my mother's side. That she's one of seven um, and I'm the oldest grandchild of, I think we now have 18. Um, and So you're breeders. We are, well, <laughs> uh, yes. Another part of our family calls us the um, Ocean Grove Breeders. So, <laughs> yes, we know how to have a child. Um, so expectations for that pregnancy. I, do you know what? In the moment I didn't have much. It was just that blissful, I'm going to have a baby. This is so exciting. I've wanted this forever. I'm just happy. Great. And, Lucy, when did things start to change Yes. So I think I had a day, maybe two of just excitement and joy. Um, And then I started bleeding. Um, So it wasn't long, max 48 hours, I think. Yeah. Yep. And so did you seek help at that stage or were you worried? Uh, So I was working at the time Um, when I started bleeding, I was in a clinic, um, and I didn't know what to do. I didn't want to talk to people I worked with because I wasn't really sure what was going on. Um, so I called in my lunch break, I called my GP to get an appointment and I got one pretty quickly. So then went and saw the GP. Yeah. 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 And what was the process in terms of investigating how that pregnancy was going at that stage? Yep. So I got some blood tests early. So we were tracking the beta HCG. So every 48 hours I would get the pregnancy hormone tested um, and we got an early scan. Mm -hmm. Um, The early scan didn't show much. So the first two scans actually didn't show much. It was um, too early to tell. Um, So we just booked in another one for another time and then just kept doing the pregnancy hormone levels. Yeah. So you didn't really get any answers at that stage. It was a bit of an unknown. And yeah. had, had they seen a embryo developing in the uterus at that stage? Not in the first two uh, – sorry, not in the first scan. Um, they either thought it was a complete miscarriage at that stage or too early to tell. Yep. Um, so I had to wait the two weeks to get that second scan. Mm. And what was that waiting time like? It was excruciating. Um, but I also, because we were following the pregnancy hormone, it was a bit unclear as well because we, um, we want them to double, roughly double every 48 hours and mine just weren't quite doing that. Um, but they were almost doing that. So it was a bit, Mm, um, bit unknown. Yeah. Yep. Okay. And, um, at that point you would have been quite a few weeks along. Were you feeling like you wanted to tell people you were pregnant or were you hesitating around some of those unknowns? So originally we had told one of our good friends, um, a couple, 
who had a little one, they were our only friends who had a child. So we'd originally told them quite early because we were so excited and we just couldn't keep it in. (laughs) Um, But as soon as the bleeding started, I wanted to wait to see what was going on before I told family and other friends. Um, I did tell people at work just because I was quite unwell um, that I just felt like I had to tell them just to let them know what was going on and someone at work was also helping me through it. Yeah. And when you say unwell, do you mean physically unwell, mentally struggling or, you know, pregnancy symptoms unwell? So first of all, it was pregnancy symptoms unwell, a lot of nausea and vomiting um, and just that first trimester exhaustion. Uh, And then with the bleeding, I think it was one day I almost passed out at work. um, So I let the person I was working with know that day just because I was a bit concerned but generally just pregnancy unwell. Yeah okay and when you got to the two weeks of waiting uh, did you have another scan at that point and and what did they see? Yeah so I had another scan and they couldn't see a they couldn't see the pregnancy Um, there was a lot of blood and clot um, inside the uterus, they couldn't see much. Um, so they just told me that, you know, it might be a miscarriage in process, um, or, um, it may develop into a miscarriage. So we'll just scan again, um, and see and go from there. Yeah. And I imagine these are all vaginal scans. Yes. So pretty invasive. Yeah. Um, yeah, at a time when you're probably feeling pretty emotional and yeah, Lucy. After about the fourth scan, uh, you were given a potential diagnosis of miscarriage or potentially something called a molar pregnancy that led you to be have a review with the obstetrician. What happened then? Um, so again, had another obviously a scan, and um, like you said, it was I think my fourth scan, um, and. They still couldn't see – they thought they could see the pregnancy um, inside the uterus, um, but there was just too much blood uh, and clot around that they couldn't be convinced of it. Um, So it came up with the diagnosis of miscarriage versus what's called a partial molar pregnancy, um, which means that it's just an abnormal pregnancy. um, Not – Nothing with a with a viable baby attached to it. Yeah. So at that point, you were facing a pregnancy loss of sorts. Yeah. Um, That would have been really tough. Yeah, and I think this is at the point where I started to really detach from the situation. I'm quite good at this skill. Um, I don't think it's a good skill to have in the long run, but it helped in the moment, uh, or in the many moments that came after this. but then I finally got a yeah a formal review with an obstetrician to make a proper plan about what to do. Yeah, and what did that plan involve? So then I was to have a, a DNC, a dilation and a curette, um, to remove the pregnancy from the uterus. Yeah, and um, how did that go? So it was on the Thursday that I got the call from the obstetrician to say, no, I don't think this is a viable pregnancy. It's either this molar or a miscarriage. I think we should proceed with the DNC. So it was a Thursday evening. It happened to be the Easter weekend. So Friday was a public holiday and Monday was a public holiday. So I had to wait until Tuesday 
um, to get the DNC, which was felt like an absolute eternity and it was really hard to get through that weekend. I was supposed to see my family that weekend and tell them for Easter and it was going to be a big happy weekend, but it mm. didn't turn out that way. Yeah, okay. And after the DNC, did you feel any sense of relief that the process might have come to an end and you could start to move on or what was going on for you mentally? It did a little bit, but it also, the DNC itself was complicated, um, as was everything in this journey. Um, Normally with a DNC, you don't expect much blood loss and I had quite heavy blood loss uh, pretty quickly um, and they didn't see much pregnancy tissue come out. Um, which normally you can see. Um, And so I felt quite washed out just from the blood loss point of view, um, but also felt like there was just something else or something was wrong. Yeah, yeah, like something was unexplained. Yeah. And after the DNC, were you still having symptoms of bleeding, pain and nausea? Were they something that stayed with you for a while? or? Yeah, so I was still having quite severe nausea and vomiting uh, multiple times a day. I was still exhausted and I was still bleeding. Yeah, so it was a very vivid reminder of what was happening. Then things took a pretty massive turn. Yes. What happened next? So I was still working at this point, um, trying to do all these appointments and things in lunch breaks and on half days and all those lovely things. Um, I... My obstetrician wasn't happy with how things were going because I was still I got another few blood tests and the pregnancy hormone wasn't going down, which is what you would expect after a DNC. Uh, so she wanted me to get another scan, which I got, and then that scan uh, was that raised the question of a invasive molar pregnancy, so a bit more intense than the partial molar. Meaning like sort of pre-cancerous or potentially a cancerous tissue in the uterus from the pregnancy? Yeah, so I didn't know a lot about it at the time and I was really trying not to Google when I left um, the stenographer's office. Um, But that was my understanding that it was potentially cancer or, like you said, pre-cancer, yeah. And, And how did that change? What happened next? So it got very intense after that. I went back to work and was a bit all over the shop and didn't know what to do or who to speak to because my obstetrician had gone on leave that day. Um, So she'd handed me over to a different obstetrician who happened to be in theatre at the time so I couldn't get on to her. Um, But I did speak to um, someone else I work with who told me just to go home and to wait for my obstetrician to call me. Absolutely the right advice to step away and take care of yourself. Absolutely. And I think at that point I was working hard, uh, up until that point I was working quite hard and then that day I was like, this is too much. I need to go home and I need to figure this out. So, Lucy, then you found yourself being hastily transferred up to an oncology unit in a hospital relatively far from home. What did it feel like during that admission? So it was interesting. Um, So I went home from work, waited for the call from my obstetrician um, and she said that she thinks that I should be admitted to a a hospital uh, in Melbourne, which is a little bit away from home. 
Um, and she said that she's spoken to the oncologists up there and they're expecting me. Uh, that word was not on my radar at all. Um, the cancer yeah, word. oncology. Um, the fact that I was being admitted to the oncology ward and she'd spoken to the oncologist, I just had no idea and I didn't know what to feel. I didn't know what to think. I just was like, okay, went into survival mode and sort of, all right, need a plan. We need to get this done with. We need to sort this out. So that's what we're going to do. So you you kind of mentally shifted from, okay, this pregnancy has not worked out. Now we just need to be pragmatic and, and move on ahead without any sort of time to really sit with the pregnancy loss. Or, yeah. Yes. So I went into a, we just need this sorted and I have no idea what I'm doing and what's going on. So I'm just going to listen to the doctors and just let them decide what they're going to do. Yeah. And what happened during your admission? So I slept at home that night and then we drove up early in the morning uh, the next day. I pretty much as soon as I got there, um, one of the senior doctors came and reviewed me and he said, I don't think this is a molar pregnancy. I'm not sure what it is, but I don't think it's molar. And that was pretty much straight away. So that was a huge relief. Um, but also there's still that unknown um, that was just hanging there. But it was it was nice to hear that he didn't think it was molar. What was he thinking it could be? Um, at that stage, he didn't really go into it. He just said, not sure, possibly an ectopic, um, but not sure what type of ectopic, but we've got to, we're going to do a scan here and we're going to do some more blood tests and we'll go from there. Yeah. And ectopic pregnancy, meaning a pregnancy that's outside of the uterus. Yeah. So essentially where it's not supposed to be. Yeah. Okay. And so you had another scan and what did they see? So it was similar to the scan that I'd had previously. Um, however, they this was the first time they brought up a potential what's called an interstitial ectopic pregnancy. Um, essentially, I think it was growing into the wall of the uterus rather than in the lining of the uterus. So there was a pregnancy still there, but it was more on the outside of the uterus. And And what was your first thought when you saw that? I, it's tricky. I was still so in that detached state that I was not really feeling much, but then a tiny bit of hope crept back in just with the, because they hadn't diagnosed it yet um, and it was still that sort of we're not sure what it is and I sort of was clutching at straws and said, oh, do you think, <laughs> do you think it's a viable pregnancy at all? And I was, was sort of laughing when I was asking it. Um, and he said, no, I don't. Yeah. Um, but just it's just amazing that I have had all this knowledge and all these tests and all these things saying that it's not a viable pregnancy, but I was still hoping, I guess. So once you had the formal diagnosis of the ectopic pregnancy outside of the uterus, what were the options for managing that? Okay. What were you presented with? Yeah, so I was, I think... It felt like forever, but I think I was an inpatient for a little over a week before a management option was decided on. Essentially, there are th I had three options. The first option is to watch and wait, um, and they said we don't want to do that because the risk of rupture is too high. Yeah. 
And when we say watch and wait, we should clarify that ectopic pregnancies never, never end in a viable pregnancy. They're, they are pregnancies that are extremely complicated and there's a risk that it could actually threaten the mother's life. Isn't Correct. It? Yeah. So ectopic pregnancies are life-threatening um, that need generally uh, need to be managed somehow. Yep. So watch and wait. Yep. That was the, the first option. Risk of your uterus rupturing. <laughs> yes, which nobody wants. No. Um, second option is a medical option using a drug called methotrexate. Um, and they didn't want to do that because um, the pregnancy hormone level was too high and it might not work and it was a bit too complicated. And then the third option was surgery. Um, and they were hesitant to do that because the risk of hysterectomy because there was a lot there were a lot of blood vessels around, so the risk of hysterectomy was a little bit higher than normal. So three options that none of them really yeah. sat right or none of them were really good options in yeah. a way. So I was um, – I do work in women's health myself, so I was. it was difficult to sort of remove my medical brain from my patient brain um, and I was trying not to think about the medical side of things and just trying to let the doctors tell me and decide and just try and really think like a patient um, and it felt like I was sort of in limbo for a little bit about what we wanted to do and I was just waiting for someone to tell me what we were going to do and I was fine with that. Um, and then one day a doctor came in and said, we're taking you to surgery um, to do the operation. Um, and I, there was a moment of relief um, that we finally had an answer and, you know, we had a plan. This is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to fix you. And and the seven plus weeks of waiting was finally coming to, yep. you know, a chance to take the exit off that yeah. off that highway. Yeah. Um, and it was a long and drawn out seven weeks and I was very exhausted. Um, you know, all I wanted was a baby and now I'm looking down the barrel of a hysterectomy, um, which I was sort of I had to chuckle at because all I wanted was a little baby and now I might be losing my uterus. It was just, it seemed utterly bizarre. And so confronting for a young woman who, as you say, just wanted to have a baby and suddenly you're yeah. faced with losing your ability to, yeah. you know, have your own children. Yeah, yep. It was it was terrifying. But um, like I said before, I'm very good at detaching and this was my peak um, detachment from yes. the situation. You were peaking in all the wrong ways. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, so much so that I remember being wheeled in to for the surgery, I was in the anaesthetics bay, just that pre um, bit before you go into the operating theatre, and I was lying there, you know, in your white hospital gown, it's open at the back, and you, I was freezing. It's so cold down there, and I was just lying there thinking, "Am I going to wake up? And is my uterus going to be gone?" Um, and my um, gynaecologist, so the surgeon, came in and she goes, "Oh, you seem so calm, like." And I just well, I was like, yeah, yeah, just, you know, you got to do what you got to do. Let's just do this. Um, but I was squashing down some big feelings. Mm, like that duck analogy of like looking calm on the surface, but yep. underwater it's like hectic paddling. Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. I felt like I was really struggling to stay afloat. 
What was the first thing you remember when you woke up from your surgery? I was in recovery and I was under lots of blankets um, and I wanted to know if I still had my uterus. Um, So in my mind, I thought I would have little keyhole cuts if it all went well and then I'd have a bigger cut. Um, I don't know if this is true. It was just the way I woke up and that was what I expected. So I was trying to rip off the blankets um, and see what type of cuts were on my tummy so it would tell me. Um, And the recovery nurses were a bit concerned with my behaviour because I was frantically trying to take off the blankets. So they come over and they're like, what's wrong? What's wrong? Are you okay? Are you in pain? I'm like, I just want to know if I've got my uterus. And they hadn't had the pre-story, so they looked at me very oddly and was like, yes, hun, you still have your uterus. And I just, the relief, but also just I became quite emotional and it sort of hit me and I was like, I've lost this baby and it's all over. And it was just a very confusing feeling to go through. On top of a really long journey, Lucy, of... Um, grey zones and diagnosis after diagnosis and then several surgeries and a few complications within the hospital, you finally started to turn the corner and recover and head home after a few weeks. What did it feel like going home? I, as most health professionals probably say the same, it's very weird being on the other side and being a patient. I All I wanted to do was leave the hospital. i didn't like being a patient, I felt uncomfortable, um, didn't know how to handle it and I just wanted to leave. Um, So I begged to go home probably a little bit earlier than I should have. Um, But the second I walked through those doors to go to our car, I wanted to run back. It was the most bizarre feeling. I still struggle to explain it. I just felt while I was in hospital, I didn't have to think for myself. I didn't have to make decisions. I didn't have to process what was going on. I was just in the hands of professionals and they were doing what's best and I just didn't have to deal with it basically. Um, So when I got in the car and was driving home with my husband, I was upset and I didn't want to go home because it sort of made it real. In that artificial hospital environment, I didn't really have to think about it. But the second I got home, I was fully having to go home and it's on your own and had to deal with the fact that I'd just lost a pregnancy and a bit of my uterus and a tube. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And what was your partner going through at the same time? I imagine he was trying to support you, but probably a very emotional time for him as well. Absolutely. I don't think we spoke about it much, um, especially while we're in hospital. Um, I was very much trying to be strong for him Um And equally, he was trying to be strong for me because obviously I was physically going through it. He, it's also a little bit different. He's non-medical. So his experience with the hospital system and medical things is very different to my own. Um, So I think that that would have changed his experience a lot um, and probably a lot of confusion. Myself, I had a lot of confusion (laughs) Um, and... He was just trying to be strong for me, Um, but I think it was a very horrible experience for him as well. And at what point when you got home did it really sort of hit home that the pregnancy loss had occurred? Probably took a little while. I can't remember exactly um, 
I felt lost for a little bit and a bit unsure of how I felt. Um, It was probably when people around me maybe got pregnant or you, you see announcements on social media and it really just knife in the guts feeling and you just can't bear to look at it. Um, probably those moments it felt quite real that I'd actually lost a pregnancy. Um, I think ectopics are seen a little bit different in the community compared to something like miscarriage. Um and I myself haven't had a miscarriage, so I can't comment on how that feels. But uh, I did get the comment once saying, at least it wasn't a miscarriage. And I was sort of taken aback by that comment. I didn't know how to respond. Um, and then I was thinking, maybe they don't think it's a pregnancy loss. Um, it was just more of a medical mishap. I'm not sure. Um, I didn't respond to it at the time, but I do think about that comment a lot. And I think that ectopics maybe aren't seen as a pregnancy loss. And I definitely felt like it was a pregnancy loss and I do still today. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Because ectopics are often complicated and can be life-threatening for the mother, I think the people that are aware of them really focus on, you know, let's make sure the mum survives and yeah. let's try to minimise the complications around future fertility and pregnancies. And and often what is forgotten is the loss around that Absolutely. pregnancy. What was some of the other knock-on effects for you, Lucy, in terms of um, the physical implications of this ectopic on future pregnancies for you? Okay, so uh, I also lost one of my tubes, uh, my fallopian tubes, because of the ectopic. Um, So that slightly decreases your fertility. Not by much, but it does decrease it. Um, And also because of the scar left on my uterus with subsequent pregnancies, I would always have to have cesarean sections um, and have them a little bit earlier than uh, full term. And how did that feel hearing that news? At the time, it was fine. I was still in that, you know, you got to do what you got to do sort of mind frame. Um, it wasn't until I actually had a subsequent pregnancy that I started thinking about it more and it felt... It, I did have negative feelings towards needing the cesarean section. Um, I, like I said at the very start, come from a big uh, fertile family with lots of babies. Um, so I just always assumed... My pregnancies would be great and I would have great births. I always believed that I would labour really well and I was kind of weirdly excited about going through labour um, and I felt like that had been taken away from me. Obviously, the risk of going through labour um, with that scar on my uterus is too high and I never would do it, um, but I do still wonder what I would have been like in labour and doing um, having a vaginal delivery. And that's some of the physical effects. What about the mental things? These are some of the things that are often harder to talk about. Absolutely. And I think this is one of my biggest things after the ectopic. Um, Obviously, that was my first pregnancy. Um, And all my life, I was so excited about getting pregnant. I thought it was going to be an amazing experience. And I feel like that has been ripped from me. my subsequent pregnancies actually um, have 
been surrounded by intense anxiety um, and terror, really. Um, early on, I have both times since I've been convinced it's been an ectopic pregnancy and I get quite anxious and have to wait for that scan. And often I've, you know, you find out and it's too early and you need one scan and then you have to wait two weeks for the next one. It's just terrifying. Um, but also later in the pregnancy, because I have, because of the surgeries on my uterus, I do have increased risk of complications later in the pregnancy. So that's always in the back of my mind as well. So I feel like pregnancy is not a very relaxed, um, joyful time for me, which I am sad about. Um, I think that that's an experience that I really wanted and I've never had. And, you know, we all want women to have pregnancies that are uncomplicated and healthy pregnancies, healthy deliveries, um, safe deliveries. But the truth is it's not everyone's experience. So, you know, that's why we're doing this podcast to have a voice for the pregnancies that don't go to plan because we want to destigmatize this experience and and make it okay when not everyone's pregnancy looks a certain way. Yeah. And to know that you're not alone. People go through this every day. Unfortunately. Having had the bleeding in early pregnancy with the ectopic, is that something that was on your mind with subsequent pregnancies? Absolutely. From the second I found out I was pregnant both times, every time I go to the bathroom I expect there to be blood on my undies Um, every single time. And I cannot wear dark underwear because that makes me feel uneasy because I can't see if there's blood or not. Um, the, also the smell of the bathroom cleaning product that they use at my work. Um, I really struggle to go to the bathroom, even when not pregnant, because it brings back a lot of those memories of going to the bathroom and seeing blood every single time. Mm. So yeah, I do struggle, um, with the memories of the bleeding. Talking about subsequent pregnancy um, with Oliver, who's now, you said, 14 months? 18. 18 months. Yeah, what a big it's boy. crazy, I know. When you think back to your ectopic pregnancy, which was before Ollie, um, what, what comes to mind in terms of thinking about the what-ifs? Yeah, it's, it's funny. I think it's that age-old question, when do you become a mother? When do you feel like it's a baby rather than, you know, pregnancy or a biochemical pregnancy or whatever you want to call it. And I think that's such an individual answer. For me, I felt like I was becoming a mother and I felt like I had a baby the second I saw that pregnant, uh, the positive pregnancy test. Um, and the fact that I subsequently lost that first pregnancy, um, I really wonder what it would have been like. I think I would have had about a three-year-old now and it hits me in very random moments. I'll be driving to work or in the supermarket and all of a sudden I'll get this overwhelming grief, I guess it is, that what would my life have been like and what I was convinced it was a girl at the time. So I always think that it would, she would have been a daughter. So I always feel like what would she have been like and um, I guess it was hard to prove that she wasn't a normal pregnancy. She was obviously not in the right spot. Um, but I still think that she was a baby. Um, and I think I was about 12 weeks by the end of 
like by the time that surgery and things. So I just, I struggle with it sometimes and think about what if and yeah. You and your partner have been through a lot, Lucy. And you talk a little bit about the detachment being a survival strategy, but what what has kept you hopeful and and positive in the recovery from this ectopic experience? Um, just the babies, the, the potential future babies. I've always wanted a big family. I I love babies, and I want heaps of my own. So just as often when it gets difficult. Um, I just keep thinking of the goal and that has so far got me through. In some ways you were really unlucky, you know, ectopic affects 1% of pregnancies and you had a very rare kind of ectopic, so you were unlucky in some ways. But how do you think about statistics now having been one of the needle-in-the-haystack patients? Yes, Um this is where my medical versus non-medical brain are completely split down the middle. I honestly feel like statistics mean nothing to the person that it happens to. Um, and so now I've had this super rare type of ectopic and I just honestly feel like statistics mean nothing to me. Um, so one of the physical complications of um, in pregnancies now with the scar on the uterus is it could rupture. Um, and it's a very, very low risk, just a spontaneous rupture just during pregnancy at any time. But that doesn't mean much to me because I had such a low risk of having that initial ectopic, but I still had it. So I just, I won't believe it's not going to happen to me until it's over, until I'm done having babies. We're getting better at talking about pregnancy loss, like miscarriage and, and to a lesser extent stillbirth. What do you wish the community knew about ectopic pregnancy loss? Um, I think it sort of ties into that comment that I got and that I mentioned earlier and I just, I'm not sure the community really understand ectopics and that's not through anyone's fault. I think they're more uncommon um, and they're more seen as a medical issue uh, rather than a pregnancy loss. Um, but I do, I strongly feel like I lost a pregnancy and i want those around me to understand that that's how I felt. Um, It wasn't just a medical issue that needed surgery to fix. And looking back through the retrospectoscope, what would you say to yourself or or your husband or or another couple going through something similar? What would be your advice to them in their recovery? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I don't know. This this is a really tough one and personally I don't think there's anything you can say. It sucks. It's really hard and it's really hard to get through. Things get better with time but that's not going to help you in the moment, is it? It's to maybe know that you're not alone. That may have helped me. Um, I didn't know anyone who'd had an ectopic pregnancy um, or no one that I'd spoken about with. Um, Just acknowledgement that it's a really tough time and you know you've got people around you if you need it but just you need to do you and find something that helps you in the moment but it just sucks thank you so much for bravely sharing your story lucy we've unearthed things that 
not many people talk about and we've touched on some topics which are really hard to share. So thank you for doing that so bravely. We really appreciate your time and um, sitting down with us. No, thank you. It's been therapeutic to talk about it. It's been amazing. Great. Thank you. See ya. See ya. Wow, Alex, that was a fascinating and interesting story that Lucy shared with us about her pregnancy journey. Yeah, she spoke so openly about especially her desire to be a mum mm. and even though she'd never seen a heartbeat or seen anything on a scan that resembled a pregnancy, she had that strong, strong sense of wanting to be a mum. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And it's so easy as medical professionals and I know I have been guilty of doing this in the past and hopefully uh, listening to Lucy's story will make me a better doctor at this and that is really acknowledging that loss, that it is the loss of a baby and a pregnancy and it's something that doesn't just go away once we treat the ectopic. Lucy talks about, you know, even these years later still having moments of grief suddenly hit her in the supermarket. I think that's so so important for us to remember when we're when we're speaking to women who are going through this. And again, it's that ripple effect, isn't it? It, it was that first ectopic pregnancy, but it, it just continued to affect her behaviour and, and how she felt yeah. about her future pregnancy. She reflects that she found it really hard to experience joy because she was just so overwhelmed by anxiety yeah. and worry of yeah. things not going to plan. Absolutely. And she felt that that was taken away from her. And I think I think that's 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 right. It's It's we expect or we hope to get enjoyment out of our pregnancies. And then when we're struck with a complication like this, it can really shatter that that expectation and, and flow on to all our future um, pregnancy experiences. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's like you become tarred with a, a brush. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, particularly for Lucy in this circumstance, she she had those emotional effects, but also those quite real risks in future pregnancies um, in regards to the surgery that she needed to remove that ectopic pregnancy from, from where it was um, in the womb. The other thing in Lucy's story that I think is so common, particularly in early pregnancy loss, is that long waiting game between scans, mm. waiting for a diagnosis. Oh, it must be so difficult. I think Lucy described it really well when she called it a no man's land of early pregnancy. It it might seem like a short time on paper and and as medical professionals we say, yeah, come back in a week, come back in two weeks, we'll have another look with the scan. But that is a, a huge weight and not knowing if this is a, a pregnancy and a baby that you will take home or not must be incredibly difficult. Mm, yeah, and I think that really wore Lucy down in mm. terms of her level of exhaustion and resilience towards towards the end when she did get treatment. Yeah, absolutely. We have a few resources. If you have been affected by ectopic pregnancy or pregnancy loss, sands.org.au or pinkelephantsupport.com.au really focuses on supporting women through early pregnancy loss. And of course, when there's mental health involved, uh, panda.org.au and Beyond Blue are excellent resources. That's it for today. If you got something out of this episode, please remember to subscribe, rate and review our podcast. Also, we love hearing from you. If you have feedback or suggestions, email us at pregnancy.uncut at gmail.com or you can find us at pregnancyuncut.com or on Instagram. 
If you or someone you know wants to share their story with us, we'd love to hear from you. Talk soon. Yeah, so after I got home from work, waited and got a call that evening from my obstetrician saying that she thinks um, I should be admitted to a hospital. (laughs) Sorry, (laughs) that's going to show up. Oh, Solomon. So cute. (laughs) Oh, God. Poor thing. (laughs) I might give him a quick feed.